I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Castaway, where I'm delighted to say today's guest is also a good mate of mine. You might first have been introduced to Emily Atak as the popular girl on The Inbetweeners, but Emily's career didn't stop there. She's gone on from strength to strength doing all sorts of awesome things, including I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, back in 2018, hosting her own comedy show and podcast, and of course, my fellow captain on Celebrity Juice. Emily and I had a little chat about the importance of podcasts, the importance of storytelling, and more specifically, the importance of ranting on what's upset you now, and how Emily's love of food, drinks, and sun are satisfied by Alan Carr and the Off Menu podcast. Emily recalls the moments that have defined her career on the podcast Plot Twist, which leads us to talk about the challenges of being a woman in spotlight. We even squeeze in time to talk about her own captivating podcast, Lie Detector, where she investigates some of the most unbelievable cases of lies and dishonesty you have ever heard. It's a goodie. We kind of do forget about halfway through the podcast that we are recording, so it just becomes a good Al Nasher between mates. This is Castaway with Emily Atak. Emily Atak, welcome to Castaway. Oh, hello. We've never done this before. No, it's weird. And we're doing this, like, normally when I do this, right, I feel like I'm normally a little bit more professional than this, or I pretend I'm professional because there could be, like, mad stuff going on sure. in the background and I never let on. But because I know you, I'm like, I'm having one yeah. of those mornings. Yeah. Uh, my head, my hair is in a towel at the moment. I'm wearing slippers. I've been running <laughs> around. But I normally wouldn't reveal this information to my guests but I feel I can with you yeah no exactly we're pals but we were, we were just saying weren't we before the recording started that we get scared about when it's on podcast how much you're going to say because tv you sort of filter everything podcast you just end up saying stuff especially if it's your mate and I feel like the second I just heard you start talking I was like, I'm just chatting to Laura so who knows what the hell I'm gonna say why is it? Why is it we're a bit more open? And because you've been in this industry a long time, uh, and I think especially when you come through, you know, big shows that you've worked on and you do the media run and you do all the promo and, spe- you know, starting off with the in-betweeners when you were so young. And there is kind of a little bit of caution. Did you ever get media trained? Because I remember getting media trained at MTV so I wouldn't Did say you? anything stupid. Yes. It was only, it was, it was a few hours, but it was just so I wouldn't say anything stupid. Yeah, no, to think, I just... Um... I just trained as I went along. I mean, I started, I started the in-between as I was 17, but it was a very kind of different world then, really. It was before social media. I think that the in-between is the first episode went out the first week Instagram was launched. So wow. it was like, I think Facebook was a wrap. Facebook was kind of the first thing that people would get into groups with a little bit, but it was, it was kind of like, there was just less to worry about then. There was yeah. the odd TV appearance and the odd interview in a magazine or whatever, but Really, it wasn't like we weren't as exposed then. So I kind of didn't really feel like training was was kind of needed. I've just sort of trained myself through the years up until now, really. You just sort of learn. You learn the hard way, really. You learn the do's and the don'ts. And, you know, you learn that every single word that comes out your mouth is is under a, a microscope. So for someone like me, it's an absolute disaster. <laughs> I always say, like, I'm really happy I started working when I did about, like, 13, 14 years ago because... You mentioned that Instagram was launched around then, and but people weren't really aware of it the way they are now. And, and same with Twitter and things like that. If people didn't like me when I started on MTV, I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> which was, exactly. Which was great. It was such a smoother world, wasn't it? <laughs> and it, I could, you could put a dress on and you didn't have to put up 10 pictures of it only for oh. people to criticise it or say you look fat or I mean you've probably never had that before but oh mate I've got everything I've got everything I've got like is she pregnant when I wasn't pregnant I've like she she doesn't look pregnant it's a fake belly like honestly awful we didn't have that before social media it's like I could walk around with my wobbly ass and no one would care how do you think you would cope if you were starting out as that 17 year old doing the in-betweeners in 2022 god do you know what that is a really good question 
I think I would find it really, really tough. It was tough anyway, yeah. but I think I, I got away with the sort of trauma of it a bit because it was so much less kind of mad and it was less in the spotlight. I think now, my God, I, I look at young people now, sort of 17, 18 year olds that are just starting out and I just, oh God, I think, Jesus Christ, you've got a lot on your shoulders there. You know, there's so much more to keep up with. I honestly don't know how I would fare. I think it would have to be monitored so much more. Mm -hmm. I, I remember back then it was kind of like, I have, I have my Facebook account, but that was kind of it. I had Bebo. I had yeah, Bebo. Bebo and MySpace <laughs> and all of that. And I would just like, I, and I thought everyone just wanted to be my mate. I would accept all these friend requests like, oh, where, hey. I used everyone to accept to everyone. Did you yeah. do that at the start? I accepted everyone because I thought yeah. that's what you did. And then oh, yeah. a few stragglers still, I think. Yeah, and that's the thing. This was sort of, we, we all learned the kind of a really weird way, didn't yeah. we? But, um, yeah, I, I think I would really, re I, I've struggled anyway, but I think I would really, really struggle now for sure. I kind of feel like we're sort of racing a generation. We're, we're quite blessed in that we have the luxury of remembering what life was like before because we know that the be-all end-all isn't social media whereas people that mm -hmm. are you know 17 18 year olds now think that the be-all end-all of life is social media but I want to kind of shake them all and go no there was there was a life before this there's other things to do as well yeah yeah <laughs> one thing which I know, talking about the, the positives I guess around social media and the world we are today and I, I do when I look at Gen Z and and the young ones coming up through is doing things for yourself and I wanted to ask you actually always because as an actress you're constantly always like putting yourself up for things and you're always always someone else's decision and in recent times what I've seen you blossom doing as well is kind of creating your own space like you created mm. your own show rather yeah. than waiting to be picked and you know with the Emily Atac show and, and congratulations on another series how Absolutely. has that been for you because that is a huge shift of power when it's oh. something that you create yourself it's been literally a dream, the best thing ever. And I owe it all to the jungle, really, because mm. the jungle kind of, it, it catapults you into a whole dimension, a different dimension of your career, but it also really gives you that platform. You know, you come out and then all of a sudden people were kind of allowing me to to say what I wanted to say. And, I, and I've, I've what I've discovered with writing, which is a massive passion of mine, always has been, writing is such an amazing platform to say the things that you want to say. And up until the jungle, really. Mm. I was so put in certain boxes. I played all these kind of, you know, pin-up type roles. And they, don't get me wrong, they were really fun. And they they did the job that I needed them to do at the time that I was in, in my career. But got to the point where I was kind of like, okay, I'm near 30 now. And I, I want to do different things. I want to show people who I am as a person rather than as these, you know, sort of sexy, naughty characters, schoolgirl mm -hmm. type, you know. Because I can't wear a school uniform forever, it would be embarrassing. <laughs> so I realised that that doing the jungle catapulted me into a completely different dimension of of the industry, and now I'm able to to write my own things. And it, yeah, it's just really allowed me to to talk about the things I want to talk about, put the messages out there that I want to get across, and and yeah, just say the things that I want to say. And it's it's incredible. It's changed everything for me. I think as well, you know, from being in the industry for a while, you do. You learn a lot as time goes by. Like when I said, when I first started MTV and they, they did a media training day, I spent a lot of my time being, you know, worried about what I was going to say or I was going to say the wrong thing. As I've got older, I care less. Mm. And I don't know, is that the world we live in or is it just something that with age, you kind of get more confidence in yourself and you kind of believe in yourself a bit more and you back yourself a bit more? I think that's it. Yeah. I think you definitely back yourself. You just, you know yourself better. So. Yeah. If you know you're a good person and, you know, you have good morals and, and everything, you, you're allowed an opinion. You're allowed to disagree with someone. Whereas when you're young, it's all about kind of pleasing everybody yeah. and being liked. And, yeah, I think it's it's definitely about growing and coming into your own and, and understanding who you are as a person. And, yeah, backing yourself. I think that's a really good way of putting it. You mentioned that time where kind of things changed and flipped and that was the jungle. I remember mm. seeing you, we're at a Halloween party, I was DJing, you were dressed as Britney, Britney Spears? Yeah. In the red leather cat suit. In the red leather cat suit. And you're like, I'm going into the jungle. Ah! I know, I wasn't going to tell anyone. <laughs> How scared were you, though, to do something like that? Because obviously it was the best thing you ever did or one of the best things you've done lots of great things but were you nervous how scared were you were you like what is this the right thing to do oh god I was terrified I mean doing something like that is absolutely terrifying because it can go one way, one way or the other mm. I remember getting to the airport my whole family took me to the airport that day and I just turned into a little schoolgirl again and I was 
I was crying. I was so nervous. And I just said, mum, I'm scared. And, you know, it, the reality really hit me that I was going to do this. And I knew my life was going to change massively. Mm. I just didn't know how much. But the thing is, I, I was scared. But I also know deep down I'm a good person and I, I'm a kind person. I'm empathetic and I don't get on people's... Well, I, I get on my family's nerves, my friends' <laughs> nerves. But I'm actually quite good in, a, in an environment where I don't know people because I'm really... I'm considerate and... You know, I, I don't wind people up. I'm very easygoing. And yeah, and I think as well, I flourish as a person when I'm challenged. And I knew this was going to be the biggest challenge in my life, physically, mentally, everything. And I, I was just ready for it. And with the juggle, I always say to people that are doing it, you have to know that you're ready for it. And yeah. I'd been asked like three years prior to it yeah. if I wanted to do it. And for three years in a row, they'd been asking me. And I I just said, I'm just not ready. I don't think I'm quite there. I don't think I'm there. And I got to the point where I, I needed some excitement back into my career and in my life. I needed to kind of get back in touch with myself. I felt like I'd lost a part of me. That was, I was very lost in, in my life, in my personal life and in my work and my love life in so many ways. And I, I was just ready to, to take on a challenge and do something for me and do something that showed everybody who I was as a, as a person. One thing I love that you always seem to have this great team around you and that's your family. And you mentioned mm. that your family all came with you to the airport. Yeah. Um, and we talk about doing things like podcasts, doing things like different interviews that you're always afraid you'll say the wrong thing. I always feel like you have a great team. I mean, your sister is your manager. You're like yeah. your cousins in your team. Your mom's in the industry. Is it weird when your sister is your manager like, and telling you, don't say anything stupid, Emily? Yeah. <laughs> what have you done now, Emily? <laughs> well, it's so funny because I, I don't really know any different. It's one of yeah, those yeah. things that it's since me and Martha were children, since we were really She's always kids. been like that. <laughs> always, always. But she was always getting me out of the shit. Always, you know, I was kind of be bribing her, like, don't tell mom that I snuck out last night, you know. Yeah, she's just always been that support network in my life. And and I remember she was about 16 and I was 17. I'd just gotten the in-betweeners and things were kind of started to happen. And we lived in this flat. My parents had divorced and it was all really, like, upsetting at home because our family had all split up. And so we lived in this flat, in this grotty little flat, and we just kind of set up our lives from there. Martha learned to drive and she started driving me around to auditions and things. Mm. And she bought a laptop and she started kind of doing my PR for me. Mm. And then she got into PR first of all. So we essentially sort of set up our little business in our little bedroom in mm. this flat. And so it's just kind of always been that way. It's just now she's in a really posh office. <laughs> it's just, yeah. And you're on primetime TV, you know. And I'm on primetime TV, darling. It's just always kind of been that way. And, and mama's always been the kind of momager for everyone. And I don't really know any different. But I mean, there are definitely times where there is a clash because with Martha, you know, she has to really kind of separate the emotion sometimes. Yeah. And it can get very, very highly emotional. As you know, yeah. when things get really difficult or you feel like your privacy is being invaded or there's stories out there about you that, that are out of control, it's a really scary thing. And, you know, Martha and I will sit and have meetings about things and she has to really remove the emotion and mm. just solely think about the work side of it. And But sometimes she just wants to scoop me up and hug me as her sister. And she does, you know, yeah. we have moments where I, we say to each other, right, let's, let's just talk as sisters now. What do we do about this? I'm so lucky. I, I could never, ever have a life where my sister wasn't managing it. I just couldn't. Do, do you know what? I was at your gig. Um, where was it? Was it Clap? No, where did I go with... Where did you... Uh, oh, yeah. Was it, where was, was I? Kent Kentish Town. Kentish Town. Kentish Town. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's only up the road. I went to Kentish Town and I was chatting to your mum. And do you know what? For me, it was so lovely because I had just had a baby and it's kind of like everything balancing. And I look at her with three kids and she said, she did everything. She said, I just brought them with me and I got them used to that. And I've been doing that with like bringing yeah. my child to studio and kind of getting on with yeah. it. And it was really lovely. It was a lovely conversation because I see what she did with you guys. And she said, yeah. yeah, I just brought them with me. She did. I remember. I remember literally like, and that was back in the day where you didn't get in trouble for being taken out of school, you know. <laughs> we'd, we'd go to voiceovers with her and things and we were around studios all the time. We were at gigs all the time where she was performing. My dad would always be touring and we'd go on tour with my dad and... Yeah, it was it was an amazing life. You know, it was a, a very different life to a lot of the kids at my school, but I would never change any of it because it just really set me up to to have a huge understanding of the business. I want to talk podcasts because we're on a podcast that talks about podcasts and you've been on your fair share of podcasts. And the first one that I want to talk about is What's Upset You Now? Sean Walsh, Paul McCaffrey, because 
first and foremost, you're funny. You've always been funny. Oh, you come from a funny family in, in, in the <laughs> nicest way. Has humour always been in your life because of your mom and everything? Did you always know you were going to use that somehow? Or did you at every point think, I'm just going to do the serious acting? I mean, I've tried to do that. I've tried dyeing my hair brown and doing all that and <laughs> doing plays and things. I love, and- can I just say, do you know what I love? Like all my friends who are actors, they all go to that stage of dyeing their yeah. hair brown to be serious. As though That's if you're that. blonde, you're not serious. But if you're brown haired, oh, now you're serious. Yeah. Isn't it awful? It's terrible. <laughs> it's the it's amount terrible. of girls who've done it. It's just sometimes the way it is. Mm. It's like, you know, yeah, I went through all of that. And I, I just know comedy is just something I can't steer away from. And yeah. My whole life growing up, I was always in trouble for, for laughing at school, making people laugh, being silly, being an idiot at school, being a clown, you know. And mm-hmm. my teachers used to say, I've never, ever forgot, like, the stuff my teachers used to say to me. They used to put me in isolation and tell me off and say, you are never going to get anywhere in life by what? doing these ridiculous things and pulling these silly faces. And it's like, well, yeah, I was always in trouble for that kind of stuff. I d- I've never taken myself too seriously. And I think... I think there's definitely times in life where you have to, but I've always been brought up to laugh in the face of adversity. Definitely. Because if you don't laugh, oh, you'll cry. Yeah, literally, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And life is so difficult. Life is really tough mm. at the best of times. But for everyone, especially what we've seen recently with yeah. the, you know, with everything that's happened in the last couple of years. And look what got everyone through. It was humour. It was mm-hmm. things online. It was, you know, that's where, obviously, we know the internet can be an awful space, but... Like we saw some real kind of beauty in the world on, online when we were all in lockdown. We saw, you know, if, even if it was just laughing at a stupid video of like a cat or like anything, it could, anything, people would take anything. Yeah. And it just shows that when you are at your worst, like we all were in the whole world, every single person in the world was in the same boat, but we still reverted back to humour. People were dying, like literally dying, but we still wanted we that release of, you know, of humour and... Yeah. I think that saves everybody in yeah. the end, you know. I've just always been brought up to to do that in the face of adversity. I remember my grandparents, my granddad was a red coat at Butlins, you know, proper entertainer. Yeah. And it, there's a famous story in the family that they were, I mean, my, my mum and all her brothers and sisters grew up in Liverpool. They had no money and it was it was all very difficult. And, and my granddad once, they had their last, like, tiny bit of money. And he went out and he said, right, I'm just going to make sure that, you know, we all have food and whatever. And he went out and he came home with, have you ever had tiddlywinks? You know that? Yes. He went out and he spent the last (laughs) bit of money on tiddlywinks and like a bottle of sherry or something. And they all just sat around with nothing, no money, nothing. And they just sat and played tiddlywinks and got pissed on sherry. Great. But they were happy. They were together. You was like, what am I going to do? Buy milk or actually buy something that we're going to enjoy and have fun and just be together and it will all be okay. Let's just laugh together and be together. It's always a kind of metaphor for my life, yeah. that story, because I kind of live my life that way, you know. In the, in the past, I've had, you know, times where I've been in really dark places or if I've had no money and all that, I'd get the people I love around me and I'd just go, right, I've got 10 quid in my account, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a bottle of tequila and we're all just going to have a lovely time. That's it. Can't pay the bills, but cheers. <laughs> the podcast I'm going to talk about now, What's Upset You Now? Actually, we haven't mentioned this one before, but it's, it's a short podcast. It's 15 minutes That's and true. it's just having a little rant about what infuriates everyone, but in good humour. Tell me a little bit about this podcast. I know you've been on it and Sean and Paul. It's great. Well, I know Sean so, so well. And the thing I love, I love going on podcasts where it's people that I know, because as we said earlier, it, you can literally just let go and have yeah. fun. The thing about Sean is that he complains about everything he is like an old moany man he's like an 80 year old moaning bloke oh, we all have those mates we all yeah. have those mates he moans Loves about moan. everything so he geniusly decided to come up with a podcast where he can just moan about the things that piss him off mm-hmm. and it's great because it's just it's one of those podcasts where you take something that annoys you but just flip it on its head and turn it into something funny and we can all just sit around and go oh my god that's so annoying because that's as well when you find something really irritating and annoying there's nothing better than finding a group of people who feel the same way and you can all have a good old slagging off session about it so yeah that i loved doing that blog i also loved it because it was short nice quick little 15 minute (laughs) podcast (laughs) unlike this one you're stuck with me for a while i'll tell you what i cannot stand there's one for me it's it's genuinely one of like the sort of most tense, awkward 
moments that you can experience in life is when someone is telling you a story and in that story they shake someone's hand and they put their <laughs> hand out when they're telling you and you think am I, am I meant to shake your hand am I in this play now or yeah like I don't are you just am I meant to shake your hand am I in this or am I not in this like what just tell me the story I don't want to be in it yeah 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 it's, uh, yeah, there's too too much. If it... Sometimes have you heard someone go, oh, then he punched me on the arm. And then they'll, they'll go like, and this hard. <laughs> you go, why have you done that to me? I don't want nothing to do with this. I, didn't, I don't need to know. This is your story. <laughs> Emily, what, what, what infuriates you? Oh, do you know what? It takes a lot to really infuriate me. Not... Hmm. Infuriates me. I don't think I've seen you really, really angry. Oh, actually, I know, I know. The other night, I told you I knew someone who fancied you, and we wouldn't tell you who the name was, and you, you lost your shit. That was no, but that's just cruel. That's cruel. Actually, that's the angriest I've ever seen you. That you can't keep that from me. I want to hound Ian about that. Like you can't tell me someone fancies me and then not tell me who it is. I need to know. Everyone that fancies me, because then I can. <laughs> then you've got options. Yeah, then I've got. I can find out if I can get off with him or not. You can't keep that from me. Yeah, you know, that. Okay, fine. That. That infuriating. Things like that. Um, sticking with the theme of humour, which comes up quite a lot in the list we're going to talk about, but uh, one of the funniest people I know, Alan Carr, who I oh, love him, adore, um, has a podcast, Life's a Beach. Tell me a little bit about this podcast. Oh, that was. Do you know what? That was lovely. The beauty of podcasts where you can just sit there and talk about lovely things as well, like just talking about holidays and and because he has that nature where you just feel like you can say anything. That's what makes an amazing host. You can, you feel like you can just chill and say whatever you want and not get in trouble. And, you know, talking about something like holidays, God, I, I was terrified about talking about it at first because I've got into so much trouble on holidays that I'm like a child. I'm really naughty. But you love a holiday yeah, romance, but who doesn't? Love a holiday. I, I love a holiday romance. It's the best thing ever. It's mm. like you wake up every morning and that person who you're never going to see again. Which well, well, you hope. Well, maybe you hope you're never going to see them yeah, again. Yeah, never going to see them. <laughs> but that, for that holiday, they become the most important thing yeah, in yeah, your yeah. world. You know. But yeah, that I love talking about things like that. It's just such a nice escape, especially the last couple of years. No one's been able to go anywhere, and oh, mm. and I just I'd actually just recently been to Marbella. It was the first holiday that I'd been on in so long, and it was. So nice to talk about that, and especially with someone like Alan Carr, who would totally understand that kind of theme of a holiday and boozing and fun. It was great. I loved doing that. And what I love so much about this particular podcast, Life's a Beach, you kind of talk about a particular place in the world that brings back those memories. And and I think for all of us, whether it's holidays when you're older, I remember like the first holiday I had by myself when I was 18, the girls going back to those childhood holidays, they really take you back to that place. A certain location will always bring back those memories. They really do. And that's why holidays are so important. Obviously, Even if it's like, you know, a staycation. Definitely. 100%. You know, it. Even if it's bloody Benidorm, even if it's like a, a little caravan park somewhere, yeah. just go even anywhere. It's it's just that feeling of of turning your emails off and just allowing yourself to exist for a few days and just do whatever the hell you want. And even if it's nothing, do nothing. Sit and read a book. Nothing. You know, have a wank. What? <laughs> like, do whatever you want to do. Just like completely be at one with yourself. Like yeah. that's that's what a holiday is. If you could, after this recording, go anywhere, be transported to anywhere in the world, where yeah. would you go? Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> to have a nice, calm, relaxing holiday, yeah? Yeah, actually, no. Do you know what? One of my, uh, on a bucket list for me, I'd love to do the Amalfi Coast with a Oh, I've a done beast, it. It's with lovely. It's oh, lovely. It's, oh, it's lovely. You've got to be in love, though, haven't you? You've got to yeah, be Yeah, like... do you know what? I've been to, like, three weddings there. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very romantic. I, I, yeah, I think the next next boyfriend I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, right, should we do the Amalfi Coast? It's a little dream for me doing that. Where did you go on holiday as a kid? So the holidays as a kid, we used to go to Butlins and yeah. caravan parks. But the big one that was sort of like, that, you know, I think everyone's got like the holiday. that If they think of a holiday, that's the one. It was like the big moment of their life. Was we used to go to Javier in Spain where Tom Allen used to go yes. because Bromley, South East London, everyone goes to the same place. It's really he weird. He told me this, yeah. Yeah, so Tenerife full of Glaswegians. Don't know why. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but my dad had a mate um, who had this villa in Spain that we used to get cheap. 
I've yeah. never asked why, no. and it's better that way. But for us, a villa was a little bit over the top, really, for yeah. us. So we got this villa in Spain with its own pool, and we just felt like we were like royalty or just like Hollywood stars. It was yeah. me and my uh, two of my brothers. I've got four brothers, but they're all a bit older. But two of my brothers and me, my mum and dad. Then Auntie Olive used to come, and we didn't see yeah. very often. She would just sit there. She was about... She always seemed 95 for 30 years. <laughs> and she'd sit there with her fit. She'd sit under an olive tree, drinking wine, reading books, eating olives. Even though her name was Olive, under an olive tree. She really had a theme. <laughs> and she'd get absolutely shit-faced, but like in a fun, nice nan way. Yeah, yeah. And she'd, she'd have like two bottles of wine every day. And then at one point, she used to float. She couldn't swim. She used to bob around in the pool in a ring. <laughs> And then my mum and dad, I was there sort of playing Game Boy or something. Mum and dad were watching, and they were a bit drunk as well. My dad was yeah. very good at making these cocktails. So just sitting there and getting drunk. And then uh, they go, oh, look, Olive's trying to swim. Bless her. Look, 83 in there, giving it a go. Look at her, having a go. Shane, you just fell out. And they were too pissed to realise. She's like, Auntie Olive's like, I'm nearly drowning. And then drags herself out. She's like, why didn't you help me? I, like, I thought you were swimming. She went, I'm 83. I'm not going to start now. Well, from one form of escapism to another. And when you're speaking of Amalfi Coast, I always think of the food. Oh, my God, the food is so good there and the wine. So we're going to stick on this theme. And um, I want to talk about our next podcast, which is a Castaway favourite, actually, as we mentioned numerous times, off menu. James A. Caster, Ed Gamble, two comedians again, talking Bobbin about... Bobbin on top bread! Bobbin on top bread! It's like James is here. It's like James is here. I love that. That was so good. It was so... I was so chuffed to have been asked to go on there. I've loved that podcast. All my friends love that podcast. And it's amazing to sort of see what pickup podcasts can get. Because since I've done that, so many people listen to that. So many people have like quoted me on things that I've said in it and stuff. And I said that this thing where any kind of night out, we always have me and my friends, we have a bottle for the journey, bottle for the journey. Mm-hmm. And everybody lost their shit over it. Everyone was like, oh, I got a bottle for the journey. So everyone's been messaging me that. So yeah, it shows what pickup it gets. It's, yeah, love it. I love talking about food and booze and oh, it's like one of my favourite subjects in the world. And also talking about food through humour. When I listen to that podcast as well, and there's so many, there's so many different people who've been on it with totally different answers, but I always have to eat during it. I don't know if you do that. If people are talking about food, same if I'm watching Bake Off or I'm watching yeah. MasterChef, I have to like eat at the same time. Yeah, Is that too. weird? I time, I time my dinner with MasterChef. I time it so that, and like sometimes I've, it's an absolute disaster because if I've got the time wrong and I think it's on at eight, it's actually on at nine. I then finish my dinner and I'm like, well, what's the point now? Mm-hmm. I've ruined it. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I do. It's the best. Yeah, I'm so relaxed when I'm eating. I've got such a healthy relationship with food and I have always had an appetite. And mm. yeah, it brings people together as well, doesn't it? It's lovely. Are you taking a drink with you for the walk? Yeah, yeah. We call it a bot for the germ. <laughs> what? <So it's> a... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> a bot for the journ. I know yeah. James so well now that when I hear something, I know he's gonna he's he's gonna absolutely love it, and it's all he's gonna want to talk about. A bot for the journ, James. A bot, a bot for, for the, the journ. I mean, yeah, a bot, bot for the journey. I'll tell you what you wouldn't want to see on a bot for the journ. <laughs> a bot that is on a journ, you would not want to see a. <laughs> a bot. I'm. That's something I'm using. That I'm using bot yeah. for the journ. Yeah, bot absolutely. Journ. We're like, should we get take a little bot for the journ? Um, <laughs> who, who started saying that yeah when did it become a thing that you all say that to each me other me and my mates we started saying this like 10 years ago when we started going out like to actually no it must have been longer now when, when we basically when we started going out clubbing you know we yeah. we created bot for the journey because on the way in the taxi <laughs> with all the screaming going on you need a pissy bottle of cheap wine you know to be drinking on the uh-huh. way it's now not a bottle of pissy cheap. It would be something nice that we have now. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, that's where it came from. Bot for the journey, you know, piling in a cab and all kind of yeah. like a gaggle. But you're saying on holiday, this is a walk, right? A walk yeah. from the balcony to the restaurant. Yeah. How long is the walk, the journey, that you need a whole bot? Well, yeah. to be honest, now it's it's not really now a bottle. It's It can just be like a little plastic cup of something that you've been drinking. But because bot for the journey, it's just evolved. It's still called bot for the journey, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a bottle. It just means a drink for the journey. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, you mentioned it brings people together. One thing you, you talk about on that podcast too, and, and for me as well, when I think of things like Christmas time or big events. Mm. It's always like food brings people together. We all sit around the table. And and for you, is that the same? Like, you know, sitting around, and I, I you know, you love a good Sunday roast and, it, it. you know, you get your friends around the table and things like that. Do you, do you think, I guess food is more than just survival and eating. Totally. There's, there's that kind of communicative side and aspect to it as well. Definitely. It's a bit like a holiday. It's it's one of those things in life that you should be entitled to have like those, those kind of moments that you're you're allowed to just not look at your emails for a bit and you're allowed to switch off and just kind of be yourself and and sit with people that you know you're nearest and dearest and just bond and talk about the week that you've had and mm-hmm. eat and drink and just oh, it is the best thing ever. The Italians do it brilliantly. I always think in my family, there's gotta be some Italian in it somewhere because mm-hmm. we're so like that. We all just pile in massive huge bowls of pasta we shout at each other like not in a you know, in a good way shout over each other uh, shout to each other it's just the best thing ever chucking bread across the table yeah it's it's amazing and it just it really I know that when I go home the main things that I look forward to I look forward to sitting in my aunt's kitchen and we sit around a pan of scouse and just talk and talk and cry and sing it's the best I think one thing that a lot of people will relate to, and I know you had the situation arise for you uh, last Christmas, was getting COVID. And your Christmas day probably was a little bit different than than how you planned yeah. it to be. How was that? I know you spent it with Martha, but probably not the way you normally would. Tell me a little bit what happened. Well, I, I had my birthday a week before and I sort of felt myself getting a bit ill, but I thought... And also, when you're a big drinker like me, it's hard to tell what's COVID and what's a hangover. So <laughs> I I thought, is, it, is it COVID or a hangover? And I was literally, I, I felt myself getting a bit, oh, and I thought maybe it's just the, the build up to Christmas. I've been drinking yeah. too much, you know, I've been partying too much. I've just don't feel good. And then you know, everyone was just kind of, everyone was getting this Omicron and yeah. virus. Everyone was just dropping like flies. And I just thought, oh God, it's okay. I feel like it might be coming. I was testing and testing and testing every day. And I was still negative, still negative. And then literally, like, yeah, the day after my birthday, my tested positive. And I was like, oh, my God. And that was, like, eight days leading up to Christmas. And I thought, well, I'm going to be... So I worked out that my end of isolation was... I, I could be released on Boxing Day if I tested negative. Martha didn't have it at first. And I, so I was literally looking at Christmas by myself. I was like, I'm just going to have to just deal with this. I'm going to be on my own in my flat with mm-hmm. my dog. And I'm just going to have to deal with it. And then literally Christmas Eve, Martha was like, I've tested positive. And I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Poor Martha, you're like, yes. I know. But yeah, so she was like, right, pack your, pack your bags. Like, I'll, I'll come get you. So she came and picked me up. We both had it. So we, yeah. I, I assume you're allowed to do that. I mean, if you've both got it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so she so. came and picked me up. and You can't spread I it anymore say, between the two of you. Exactly, years, so. yeah, yeah. So I spent it with her and her husband. Her husband was positive too. And, you know, it was very different, of course, because I'm, I'm used to such a massive Christmas day with like 30 members of my family and it was mm. very, very sad. But same time, it, it's amazing, isn't it, how much you sort of take stock and you go, well, yes. do you know what? It's just a cold to us. There are people that have literally lost yeah. their lives and... and they're waving at people through windows that you know dying relatives it's it's all it's so awful we we were, we were the lucky ones you know we got yeah. out unscathed my family were all well and healthy and we just you know we had to have one christmas day without our family and that that's fine considering you know certain results of covid like that that's a good result you know we had a similar situation where like ian got covid before christmas so i had to go back to ireland by myself 
with our child. Oh my God. And I was like, look, whenever you test negative, you follow us. Mm. But again, yeah. again, you take things for granted. You take things for granted, totally. like having dinner all together or being together yeah. for Christmas. Luckily, he ended up testing negative and passing his fit to fly the day before. So he arrived on Christmas Eve, kind of like Santa Claus. Oh, bless um, him. But it's, you're <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm sure for you as well, the fact that you got to spend it with with Martha and yeah. and your brother-in-law. I'm sure I'm sure he's yeah. thinking, you know, my first my first Christmas as a married couple, I want to spend yeah. it with my sister-in-law. Yeah, I know. It's hilarious. But do you know, we we had a really nice day. I'm yeah. always third wheeling with those two anyway, so <laughs> they're so used to having me. I'm surprised you're not in Italy right now, to be honest. I know, I know. She had to really stop me going. But um, yeah, it was really nice. And we, we we had a beautiful lunch. Martha made a gorgeous lunch and we played games and we drank and we had Penny with us and, you know, and they love Penny. My God, they love Penny. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was very different, but we were just very grateful to, to be together. Yeah. I'm going to move on to your next recommendation of podcast, which is Plot Twist. Tell me a little bit about yeah. this. Well, this was great. I did this the other day. And again, it was a, a podcast that I couldn't believe I'd been asked on. You know, they've had mm-hmm. some incredible people on there. And this is about talking about your career and the sort of stage of your career where there's maybe been a moment where it kind of changed the course of everything. So it's it's brilliant. You could talk about it for hours. God, you'd be a perfect guest on that because, you know, you and I have climbed this showbiz ladder for years together, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's talking about those moments where, you know, there was, a, it, there was like a game changer where things took a different course. And so I spoke all about the jungle and kind of what that meant for me and kind of the lead up to that and working as a jobbing actress and how you kind of have to reinvent yourself and... There are all these different sort of marks that you have to hit in your career in order to kind of continue and carry on and stay relevant and all of this. And, you know, we talked about the ups and downs of it. And yeah, it's it's a, it's a really indulgent podcast. It was it was great. I loved it. Two lovely hosts. You get to the nitty gritty and it's like, I, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about the things that I said because I just, I just went off and just spoke and talked about so many different things. Because the thing about the industry as well, and, and you, your career in the industry, there's such an, an emotional side and attachment mm. to it that even it's all very well saying, you know, you have to sort of separate work from your real life, but it's really hard. I'm sure mm. you understand this too. Like it's so hard when your personal life is splashed out there for for people to know about and to talk about and gossip about. And, yeah. you know, so we spoke about a lot of those things and yeah, it was a really interesting chat. What we love to ask our guests is in your life or in your career, what has been your plot twist moment? So where something completely unexpected has happened? I mean, I've had a lot of them, but my first big plot twist moment in adult life was probably landing, having a manager ask me if I wanted to audition for a few films and TV shows because she saw me in a play. And having landing to a movie and a TV show in, in Hollywood without even ever, ever sort of conceptualizing that as a life. I mean, that's changed my life entirely. It, it's just sort of that initial experience of, of making films was so foreign to me. It just wasn't something that I was attempting to be a part of, really. I didn't expect it at all. And still, 25 years later, I sort of look at it as this sort of weird hand of fate that sort of brought me into this situation and and in a way has allowed me to be much more free with my choices because as much as I love it, I didn't dream of it as a child. It's not something that I was hoping to do with my life. And I'm still sort of wondering, am I an actor or am I like, am I just some guy that they, you know, put in these movies? And luckily over the years, I've been able to sort of develop a craft that I enjoy and I've been able to work with such amazing people and uh, learn so much. And I just can't believe it's been 25 years now. It's kind of mind blowing. It's interesting as well, yeah, when you you mentioned where is the line. And I think mm. when you're in this industry, there's sometimes an assumption that everything is up for grabs. And I think it's finding mm. those boundaries. And I'd, again, and I've talked about this before, I know you have, I think how women are talked about is very different yeah. than how yeah. men are talked about. Talk and do you feel like the industry is changing in any ways? Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? I think in some ways the industry is changing for the better. I think, you know, we're celebrating women a lot more, you know, slowly. I think... Thank God that diversity is is starting to be a better thing in the industry. Thank God. It's still, you know, it's it's it infuriates. Do you know right? I found something that infuriates me. It infuriates me that it has that it's such a slow process. Like, how only now 
of people kind of wising up to this and saying, we need more women, we need more diversity. We need, it's like, for God's sake, you know, it, it, it should have always been this way, but sadly it hasn't been. Um, and for me personally, I've seen, I, I have seen a shift for sure, but the one thing that stays the same, and I do think at the moment I'm kind of going through this at the moment, is is the misogyny and the sexism mm-hmm. and, and all of that. I And I feel that personally, it's right. And I, it's, it's, I think because I'm going through it personally right now, it feels to me that there's been no change in that at all. Yeah. I feel that as a single woman, especially, I talk about this a lot, as a single woman, I feel very kind of unprotected by the media a lot and by tabloids and things. I feel like if you are single, you're immediately labelled as someone who is reckless. You know, your love life is this kind of disastrous chaos that everybody loves to talk about and gossip about. And I'm really kind of finding that at the moment that you are sort of targeted as a single woman. I don't see married women targeted in this way because I guess when you're single you're anyone's game because it's and it's a tabloid dream because there's always men out there that they can pair you with and create a drama about and you know there'll always be a different bloke every single day that I'm supposedly dating or I'm supposedly kissing at a party or you know I can't even walk down the street with a friend without them being labeled as someone that I'm let's face it having it off with you know it's horrible Emily though Uh, I I always thought this was like oh you know when you're in a relationship will it stop it won't Mm. I think once you're a female even if you're even if you're married or you're in a relationship there will always Mm. be something and I don't know if guys will get it the same way I've had it with even Mm. like on Sunday I was walking into BBC and it was like Laura draws attention to herself in pink yeah. coat and I, I remember attention. even she was attention or flaunts curves while yeah. men don't get spoken about that way and I don't think it's it matters so if you're in a relationship true. or not flaunting like yeah flaunting, flaunting assets it's like no I'm just wearing an I'm outfit just wearing a coat. and then I, like I had to laugh and it, we're scrutinised for every bit of our body what we're wearing I was like Ian has worn the same suit to every yes. bloody thing we've gone to and nobody has noticed that <laughs> while like god forbid we wear the same thing or we flaunt a curve or you know yeah shows off post baby body I'm like I'm not showing off I'm walking down the street I'm walking down the street and doing my job and that hasn't changed and I feel like there are certain things in the industry that it doesn't get better but that has not got better at all the headlines always remain the same they're always misogynistic they're always very kind of scaling and and definitely not with men I I always say this I always say you know I saw this article written about me recently saying um Emily Atak needs to take a step back from her love life and focus on herself. <laughs> and I thought, hang on a minute. Who the you fuck are you? would say that to Pete Davidson, would you? Yeah, he's yeah. going around, you know, dating all these beautiful women, having a great time, and he's this Lothario, yeah. you know, in- incredible guy. That And it's like, oh, there's something about Pete. And it's like, but if you're a woman and you're, you know, dating or you're, even if you're not dating, they'll say you are. They yeah. they put you together with, with guys, then they break you up or they yeah. say you've been dumped, you've been ghosted. And... You're just sitting there going, I can't believe I'm watching all of this unraveling, unraveling, and I haven't said a word about any of it. How do you bite your tongue? I- I'm not very good at biting my tongue. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so, and you know, sometimes I, I look at people who do come out and sort of say, look, enough, I've had enough, and I envy that. Yeah. Sometimes I'm too scared to, I am. And I'm sort of told, keep your head down, be quiet, and it'll go away. That's kind of Does what it I'm go away? Us. Does it go away? Does it affect you? It doesn't go away. And what I've really realised recently, it just gets worse. And all of a sudden, these stories are spiralling out of control. And you're like, oh, my God, you're being quoted on things that you haven't said. But the thing is, if you come out and do this big thing, you're then doing a scathing rant. And you're then seen as this, like, this psychopath that's lost control. And, you know, that you're you're devastated about your life. And so I choose to keep a dignified silence because... I don't know what else to do. I literally sometimes don't know what else to do. The papers make me feel like I'm one of the only single women in the bloody world because all the stories out there about dating or being caught up in all these kind of dramatic mm-hmm. love things, they're all aimed at me. They're all sort of they're all aimed at me and I'm sort of taking on the weight of all the single women out there at the moment. And I I'm trying to fly the flag of, hey, all the single ladies, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's okay for it to be too much. Like I, it's I, too much. Sometimes it's okay to say, and I've had that too, where you're like, you have to pretend you're strong all the time, and you're, yeah. as you said, you feel like you're representative of a whole group of, of people. But yeah. sometimes it's okay to be like, actually, like, yeah, that's too much. I'm one person, and 
whether it's true or not true, it's my bloody business. Mm, totally. And like all the material that I've kind of done in the past about like, you know, I stand up there, I'm very sexually liberated when yeah. I talk about my sex life, my dating life and all of that. So there's a, there's a part of me that goes, well, you know, I've asked for it. And yes, I am trying to fly the flag for sexually liberated women, single ladies everywhere. But, and, you know, trying to keep that spirit up. But sometimes I just feel like that my spirit just gets crushed. Yeah. Like I can't do it all the time and it's hard. You're one person and it's okay. Yeah. And, and I think people sometimes forget if you're on television and, uh, you know, that that you don't have emotions and things don't uh, permeate the way they do for others, but they do. Yeah, totally. Or that you're asking for it. You know, you you knew what you were signing up to. It's like, well. Did you watch that series of Pam and Tommy? Have you seen that? I haven't seen that yet. Do you know no, I was interesting? I just, because I, I watched it this week. But there was one thing, and this is from like the 90s, so mid 90s. And it was like to do with mm. the sex tape with Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. And what was interesting was, and it was something that the character of Pamela says, the sex tape, for me, it makes me look like a slut. But for Tommy Lee, everyone's going to be high-fiving mm. you because you're the man. And it is, you mentioned that you kind of touched on it too. If you're, a, if you're a male, you're like shagger of the year. If you're female, mm. you're a slut. It's awful. That infuriates me so much. Like, it's disgusting. It's awful. And I, I do think slowly, slowly that will start to get better because I kind of feel at the moment we're living in an era where everyone's had enough. Everyone's a bit like, you know what, we've all been through enough and, you know, there are all these amazing movements that are happening yeah. right now. There was obviously the Me Too movement, you know, incredible, these, those brave women coming forward kind of saying enough, we've been treated like sluts, you mm -hmm. know, for far too long and these men that are, have all this power are abusing this power and I think we've got to keep fighting the fight with movements like that yeah. because... That is the only thing that's going to change it. And it's scary as hell. Oh, I know. To, you know, yeah. yeah. I've had to talk in Parliament about this sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, and it's terrifying. And you're putting yourself, really putting yourself out there. But in order to make a change and use your platform in a positive way, I think it's we've just got to keep fighting the fight because yeah. we just have to keep going and stick together as women. And yeah, and just, and just keep going. And hopefully, you know, one day there will be a change. Going back to the podcast plot twist. Sorry, yeah, I do go off, don't I? <laughs> no, it's, this, is, this is what I love about this. Yeah. And the joys of podcasts is there's no time limit, but it's hosted by Tom and Fran. And there was one um, episode, speaking of like the great guests they have, Josh Harnett was on it. And he recently starred in the Fear Index. And, and actually in his particular episode, he starts talking about the link between fear and fame, talking about mm. things like imposter syndrome, of not being good enough. And you look at someone like him who has had a great career and it always surprises me and I've interviewed so many different people between radio and television shows and like huge, huge stars, you know, people mm. who've won Oscars and Grammys and everyone kind of goes back to this imposter syndrome. And sometimes the bigger the star, the more successful, the more they seem to really have to, to work on this. And I've talked mm. about this quite a lot. What's your relationship with fear and fame and imposter syndrome and, and doing what you're doing I guess with comedy it feels like it's very male dominated yeah totally do you know there have been certain things in my life certain roles and I actually said this on the um Fox Twist podcast there have been certain roles that I felt like I completely deserved I, I remember getting when I and this is just me being a cocky 17 year old because I had no idea of the business when I first got the in-betweens I'd seen my mum be successful and you know I I went to that audition cocky as anything and I I said in the audition and I would never say this now because I know the etiquette of an audition now, but I said, just so you know, nobody out there can play this role better than me. This role, Charlotte Inchcliffe, is made for me. Yeah. And, um, and so I didn't have imposter syndrome that because I got the role and I was like, well, yeah, I, des I deserve this role <laughs> for some reason. I, I, I was like, well, it's perfect for me. It's, it's uh, as grateful as I was, I still felt like I really deserved it. And, you know, mm. I'd been scrounging around for money and living in this flat and you know uh, like trying my best to to get somewhere in my life and I, I was given this chance and I just oh god I just took it and I was confident and I thought well there was no time for imposter syndrome then because I just needed it to work and I just needed to feel confident and feel good about it I sometimes wish I could take that confidence it, through to the rest for the rest of my life because it, that's the only time I've ever felt that way because from then on I really did get into the industry and I feel like over the years my confidence kind of got worse and worse and more kind of battered. Yeah do, do you know what it's it's crazy that you're saying this because I, I actually recently wrote about this about when I first got MTV and the naivety, maybe it's a naivety yeah. that I, I didn't really think about. Um, and I kind of have lost mm. that a little bit. I kind of, I'm sad I've lost that. Maybe you're just, I don't know, battered by life. Yeah. 
and also we're all scared as well, aren't we, to admit if we say like we feel like we deserve something. I think it, you know, it. we're humble people, you and I. We're, I think we're allowed to say if there was a moment in our life that we felt that we deserved, then it, then it's fine. Do you know the, the the one time I really felt, oh my God, full imposter syndrome vibes yeah. was the first day that we did Celebrity Juice and I, I was sat in that seat as a as a, really? a captain. That was one of the first times in my life that I like properly looked around and went, oh my God, I can't believe I've done this. It's, you know? it's crazy because I, for me, that felt like a real circle because I remember mm. when I first moved to London, sitting in the audience to watch the show. Oh my God. And I remember seeing that's and I, I, meeting Lee Francis around that time for the first time. And, and just going there to watch it and then to be like, you know, 10 years later, sitting in a captaincy. Because I had that too, being like, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to say anything. I'm going to be so shy and nervous. And Thankfully, um, you weren't. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, you know, it just felt like family and home straight yeah. away, didn't it? But um, yeah. God, I was bloody humble to be sat in that seat. You know, to yeah. think who's been there before. Holly Willoughby, Fern Cotton, it's like all these amazing women that I've looked up to since I was really young. Um and yeah, and then I'm sat with Laura Whitmore. Yeah, but then, as a but, but I think because we've known each other for so long, yeah. and you and Lee would be coming to like my birthday parties, and I'd yeah. be coming to yours, and we and we kind of had that rapport. It kind of made it easier. Yeah. But there's one thing I want to bring up again because I think it's really lovely that what you said, and something we don't say much is like I deserve it, and you know I, and I think sometimes it's nice to be humble, but sometimes it's nice mm. to say, oh, do you know what? I've worked bloody hard in this industry for a long time. And I'm good at my job, and mm. and I deserve I think it. And again, it's, again, that's a, it's another it's another sexism thing. It's another sexist thing that men yeah. are kind of allowed to have a bit more confidence. But as soon as a woman turns around and sort of says, "No, actually, I deserve that. I'm good at my job," mm-hmm. we kind of we're sort of not allowed to say that. I feel yeah at times. I think with the inner because I was so I was so young. I was 17, and up until that point, I'd had a really, really, really awful couple of years in my life. That like my family completely splitting up and mm. um I was so depressed I was so sad I was in an abusive relationship I was just oh everything was awful and yeah I just I knew I wanted to really make my life brilliant and I wanted to not feel sad anymore and I was this oh god depressed teenager that was just getting in trouble all the time and I just really wanted things to be different and I just mm. grafted I think I was a waitress for a bit and I was I worked in a call center and I made sure that me and my sister could eat every night, you know. So when I got that, I was like, well, thank you so much. And I, I wouldn't say that hug the Lord say thank you because this will change everything. This is what I've been working towards, mm-hmm. you know. When you're saying that to me, I've just had a cheese toasty arrived. I haven't eaten yet today. Oh. Remember I told you I had a crazy morning and, and I've just had from my other half a cheese toasty handed to me. And, and when you were talking oh, yeah, about like looking after your family and, you know, looking after, um, yeah. you know, your sister and oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, just, I don't know if he's done, done this intentionally, but I haven't eaten yet today. And I was just like, oh, this cheese toasty. Oh, but that is love. That is, that is that love. someone who hands you cheese toasty because I think I was afraid my tummy was going to start rumbling. But, and he knew. He just knew. He didn't even say like that he just knew that is proper love. But but speaking about like, you know, you mentioned about the sexism thing and how, you know, feeling our, our place is right. And I remember having it too. I remember when I was asked to do to do Love Island and just fill in. And I was a bit worried about doing it because I was like, oh, I don't really want to work on a show when I'm going out with the person on the show. And I remember being like, what will people, you know, but like, what will people think? And I'd rather just not do it. And I remember it was one of the the bosses said, you're the most experienced in live telly and you're the only one who can do this. And I remember being like, fuck yeah, I am. And But I remember for a bit, I was like, oh, what will people think? I don't really want to work on a show with someone because I'd always try to stay away from that and keep, and I didn't want the lines to blur mm. and I was overthinking it and I was like, oh, I, I don't want to do it because of this and it'll be, mm. and then someone turned around and go, yeah, but you're the only one who can do live like this. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. How can you say no? Yeah, it's like someone recognising how bloody brilliant you are and just saying, you have to do this. It's weird though, because I always second guess myself and it's like when you look at now and your success mm. and you mentioned the jungle, but like the jungle was a platform, but you did it, mm. you know? Yeah, do, do you know, the jungle was, it, sh- it showed me more who I was as a person, like, and with that came the confidence again to to get the work that I wanted to get. I think the jungle, because leading up to that, I also had a really difficult time. I had a massive dip in my acting career and 
you know, I had no money and I'd just gone through a breakup and I was a bit, I was lost in my life. And yeah, I just, the jungle kind of, because the jungle always say, people always say about the jungle, did it change you? But it didn't, it just kind of reaffirmed who I was. I I found all the pieces of myself that I kind of thought I'd lost. And because I found all those pieces again, I pieced myself back together literally. And then that is what enabled me to kind of come out and do all this amazing work that I'm doing now. So yeah, it emotionally kind of made me find myself. And also, there's nothing, there's nothing like being on a show where 13 million people every night are watching you. So no pressure. people really get to know you. And yeah, then you get all these amazing opportunities. Speaking of all these amazing opportunities, you have a podcast, Emily Ata. I do. Um, and it's called Lie Detector. I, I love it because with podcasts, there's so many different areas. And we've talked about comedy. We've talked about food mm. and like kind of personal journeys. But... One of the, I guess, the biggest podcasts that are out there are anything to do with true crime, anything to mm. do with deceit, real life stories. And and this particularly is kind of fakery, fraud. Yeah. And yeah. Ah, it's juicy. It is. Yeah. It's me kind of essentially interviewing these people that have actually been through these you know, like the sort of insane stories you see. It's it's like the Tinder swindler. I keep yeah. thinking, you know, the Tinder swindler. I yeah, keep yeah. I'm gutted that we didn't get that story on the podcast first because that yeah. would have just been the dream. But it's about all these, it's about fakery and fraud and people that have been completely duped in their lives, even down to, you know, bigamy and... Yeah, but, but like, but this is actually, there was a lot about like men leaving double lives because I want to yes. talk about this because yes. you always see it in the women's weeklies and stuff like, I didn't know that mm. he had like two other families or... But it happens so much. I've had friends in my life who had long-term boyfriends who've had other serious girlfriends. And I'm like, where did they get that time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's about, we sort of unpick all of that and unpick how they got away with it and how these people live these double lives. I think I was so manipulated into having this sense of responsibility towards him and his daughter that, yes, I was scared. I was I was petrified. I'd never done this before. I'd never owed anyone money. I'd never taken that money for this reason. I borrowed 15000 and then topped it up with some savings to, to make up an amount. And he then said to me, I just, I'm just short. And at this point, I'm thinking, God, I've, I've invested this money. If I don't send the rest to make up this tax bill, everything I've sent will be lost. So in order to help him get the tax bill, I took out another loan. And this was like, I've just got to do this. Just bite the bullet, take a deep breath. You're trusting someone, you believe in him. He's not badgering and hassling you. He's terrified for the future without this. What are they going to do? And I put his needs above my own at that time because he was in such a difficult position and I felt sorry for him. Look, I know what you're thinking, all the red flags, all the warning signs, but psychologists say that it's a whole other experience when you're in it. Hindsight can make things seem obvious, but Rachel was in deep, and the only way out was to dig a bit deeper. I didn't realise how vulnerable I was to a fraudster as clever as him and his um, co-conspirators. I just didn't realise, and this is what's scary, because... I'm just, I worry about other people, which is why I've gone public and why I'm doing this podcast, is because if I was so vulnerable to these fraudsters, how many other thousands and millions of people are vulnerable? When you hear these people kind of talking about these stories, things that personally happened to them, as an outsider, you would think, oh my God, I would never be such a fool. Mm-hmm. And then actually, when you talk to them, you realise just how easy it is to be tricked and, yeah. you know, to be manipulated. Uh, you know, if, especially if you're someone just looking for love. Mm. It's like, love is blind and it, it it breaks your heart to listen to all these stories of these people who who this happened to. And they they so wanted to believe that this was the real deal and this was love. And, you know, we've all, we've all bloody been there, you know, thinking about hoping that this is the... The thing is, when you really fancy someone or you're going out with someone and you, you, you deep down kind of know they're not right for you, but you mould them in your mind to kind of make them this perfect person that they are. Yeah. So you kind of forgive all of the, the flaws in the relationship and you... You sort of replace them and fabricate other things in your head to kind of, you know, or you excuse things that you probably wouldn't normally excuse. You go, yeah, but, oh, but he's always like, oh, yeah, but that's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And you're sort of in denial. Yeah. It, it's kind of stories like that, but in a, a larger scale of how these people were literally duped into thinking that uh, they were the, the one and only of these guys. And these men are married to like three or four other women. It's crazy. 
Oh, don't. Well, I'm looking at this now. This has probably been my, one of my longest episodes I've done so far, which goes to show how much we can, we can chat about. Um, Emily, thank you so much for joining me on Castaway. I've loved thank this. Thank you so much. I know, me too. I'll see you on Tuesday. Oh my God, we're recording Celebrity Juice. We're back. And can also, this is my third series as team captain and it's the first time that I can drink. Oh my God, you're, I'm going to get you absolutely. I'm scared. I'm scared for everyone. Uh, Emily Atek, thank you so much. Love you. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that, sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.